The Guardian. The joy of ebooks is that great stories are just a click away. For our podcast listeners, we have a great offer on Luke Harding's book Mafia State, a menacing tale of life as a journalist in present-day Russia. I'll tell you more at the end of the show. Hello, this is Music Weekly from The Guardian. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. Coming up in this week's programme, Charlotte Church talks to us about bad dancing, tiny venues and leaving the pop world behind. Bello had discussed breaking out of the folk scene and play live in the studios. And Kanye West, Dan Deacon and Night Engine all line up in Singles Club. All here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Kieran, how's your week been? It's good. I went to see Angel Hayes. Um, How was that? The other day. It was great. She looked brilliant. She was dressed like Aaliyah and uh, just telling us all how she's the best female rapper on the block. Wow. Well, was she the best female rapper on the block? Uh, top five. <laughs> <laughs> what's been in the news? I'm trying to think what's the big news stories this um, week. I just read that is Grimes a... is losing her voice. Grimes is losing her voice? Yes, yeah, so and she's had to postpone loads of shows. Probably because of all her wailing and screaming on stage, if you've seen any of her previous Did gigs. you see the bloke who's had the lead singer of Spectre tattooed <laughs> on his neck? Oh, God. No. I mean, I like, I, you know, I'm quite like Spectre, and I've met Fred, and he's very nice. Right. Lovely, lovely chap. I don't think I'd have his face tattooed on, on my neck. I think, I fear that man may live to regret doing that. Whose face would you have? <laughs> I'd have a tattoo of Chris Brown with a tattoo of Rihanna's face <laughs> visible. On the tattoo of Chris, but I wouldn't have a tattoo. I'm just not. I'm not a tattoo this, kind of person. You've got a tattoo. What, it, what does your tattoo ball. say? I've got a mum tattoo. Does that say mum? Yeah. In Hindi. It does. Wow. Rolling Stones. A thousand quid. A thousand quid for a ticket. What is this? They, he was saying something about something along the lines of sixteen million. Sixteen point five million or seventeen point five million. They, they stand to make. Yeah. From a week's work, which is amazing. It's like not working for the Guardian in that respect. I just can't imagine. No. Spending that amount of money on a gig. Well, who are who is that demographic? Who are these people? Is it kind of? Well, it's they, kind of bankers, it, isn't it? I assume you know. It's kind of rich and diehard fans, is it? But it's fleecing your diehard fans. That's the sort of horrible thing about it. Right. Is that you know? I don't really care if it's kind of stupid rich people. You know, corp- you want to have corporate seating and all that kind of thing. Oh, fair enough. That's what you want to do. You know. Mm. But what I suppose I object to with it is that there's people who really, really want to see the Rolling Stones and want to go to every gig, mm-hmm. and you know, the cheapest seats are some insane amount of money as well. The good thing about the Rolling Stones live is I've seen I've seen them uh, live and I've seen them be amazing and I've seen them be absolutely rubbish. Oh, they're, they're actually a proper. The thing that's good is they're a proper band, the Rolling Stones, yeah. and they clearly. I went all the way to Germany to see that. Oh, they were crap. <laughs> They were really... They just had an off night, you know. And that's sort of... It's not this incredibly drilled thing. I still wouldn't pay a thousand quid to, to But saying it. that, at least you know you're going to hear the classics, don't you? Yeah, someone was complaining in the Daily Mail earlier this week and going, this is why it's going to be rubbish, because they haven't got a new album. Because that's what you go to see. The <laughs> if only... If only they play some new material. Don't. Don't do Satisfaction. <laughs> Enough already with Tumbling Dice. We've all heard that. God. You know, play something off... In Bridges to Babylon. Anyway, joining us this week in the studio, Charlotte Church. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Alexis. No problem at all. The reason you're here, I suppose, other than to meet us... Um, of course. Of course. Highlight of anybody's day, I'd imagine. Um, you have reinvigorated, restarted your, your singing career in quite a different vein yeah. to what you were doing before. Yeah. What prompted that? 
Well, I think that a lot of the words that are always thrown back whenever I... Thrown back, thrown out, whenever I kind of bring out something new in the, in the musical sort of world is, you know, kind of comeback and reinvention. Mm. And I don't really see it like that. It's much more of a, an evolution every time. Sure. Everything, everything that I ever kind of put out is generally pretty organically done. I never really think about overthink it um mm-hmm. and a lot of the times in the past i wasn't really in the driving seat sure but now i'm pretty firmly in the driving seat which is unbelievably scary and uh, yeah i don't know if i like it no uh, it's, it's it's a great thing and um yeah it's pretty different i was really disillusioned with the music industry i've been disillusioned with the music industry for quite some time you, when you say you've been disillusioned with the music industry for quite some time that's going back to when Probably when I started doing TV shows. Really? Yeah. What, what, what brought that? What, as an artist or as a presenter? As a, like, I kind of, yeah, I did like the Charlotte Church show and stuff on Channel 4. What, what disillusioned you about it then? Well, I suppose I just, I didn't really like the way the music industry was going and how, you know, everything was so samey sounding and I just didn't really feel like there was a place for what I wanted to do mm. and that I couldn't really do what I wanted to do. But now I've kind of stopped worrying about whether there is a place for me doing what I want to do and just doing it anyway and hoping for the best. <laughs> because I saw you live at Shepherd's Bush Empire after your first sort of pop album came out, yeah. uh, Tissues and Issues, which was, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of, you know, Guy Chambers co-writes and that that sort of thing. Yeah. And in the middle of the show, you did a cover of The Man With The Child In His Eyes by Kate Bush, which yeah. I remember thinking, oh, that's a slightly peculiar thing for you to be doing. Yeah. That is more of an indicator of your, your sort of music taste. I think so, definitely so now. I mean, I've never really listened to that much Kate Bush until really recently. It was only when, out of the new stuff, a lot of people kept coming back with, mm. it's very Kate Bush-like. And so I started listening to a lot of Kate Bush uh, and The Dreaming in particular as well, <laughs> which is phenomenal. It's a fantastic album. And um, absolutely understanding just how wild and weird she, she truly is. Like, she's an incredible artist and I never really understood that before just from, just from hearing the hits, you mm. know, out and about. And so I am now, therefore, quite a big Kate Bush fan. Although I don't really think that much of the music was actually influenced by Kate Bush, even though I'm, I'm happy for people to okay, talk no, about that's, it. What that's a great totally thing to be compared right. to, of course, of course. Um, what would you say it was influenced by? For somebody who hasn't heard your new stuff and you know knows you either as Voice of an Angel or as the person behind Crazy Chick, um, how would you describe it? I'm releasing a series of EPs, yeah. and so they're all going to be entirely different. So okay. basically the second EP we've been working on for the past six weeks. Mm. And so instead of using the, the material that we'd amassed before, we just wrote loads of new stuff and it's gone in a totally different direction right, again. Right, 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 right. So it's a bit like, oh, you know, I don't really want to mislead anybody because it, it is kind of going all over the shop. But, you know, that's what art, you know, artistry and creativity is about, essentially. Mm. Um, but I suppose uh, the stuff that I've been listening to, I've absolutely fallen in love with Radiohead. I fell in love with Radiohead about two years ago. That just opened my eyes to a whole other area of music, mm. which I'd mm. never... I'd never actually heard. I love Bjork a lot. I love Sofiane Stevens. Mm-hmm. I love James Blake. I'm listening to a, a lot of 90s stuff at the minute, okay. kind of pavement and a bit of built to spill. But everything, I, I listen to as much, as much stuff as I can get my hands on. to be 
First EP, that's Charlotte Church with How Not To Be Surprised When You're A Ghost. You've been playing live a lot. Yes. And you've been playing tiny, I mean you played in, in my hometown of Brighton mm. and uh, you played at the Green Door Store, which is a great venue. It's awesome. But is is titchy. I mean it, it it's, it's under the railway arches and it's, it's really small. It's got um, such a vibe to it. It has got a great vibe, hasn't it? It's, yeah, it's because a, it's like a dirty little rock club, but it's not really a dirty yeah. little rock club because yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of bourgeois. <laughs> um, it's Brighton summed up in a sentence for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Have you been enjoying it? I mean, is it is it something that's that's a good experience? Is it it's some, hard, man. It's it? really hard. I've never properly toured before. The only time I did tour was when I was fourteen, and I did the tour of the states, right? Complete with tour buses, yeah, and yeah, yeah, there was yeah, an yeah, orchestra yeah. and all sorts. Um, so I've never actually properly toured, and not in this country either. Okay. So I find it kind kind of difficult because also I've got two little ones. Yeah, how old are your kids? Three and five. Oh really? Yeah. So uh, they're they're only titchy. So yeah. So that uh, that kind of side. Have of you been it, taking them with you on tour? I suppose the five year olds at school you can't be doing. Yeah. That. Yeah. So uh, they're going to be coming with us. Um, you know, whenever there's any school holidays, mm-hmm. uh, and it can be fun. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no point just you know taking them along because sometimes it can be quite boring. Mm-hmm. You know. So so the travelling and, and all that side of it is you know is arduous, but the actual performance is amazing. Really? It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, to be able to perform with a band, make some horrible noises occasionally is just beautiful it feels fantastic like and the, the fact that I don't have to dance around like a puppet because mm-hmm. I was you know I'm not much of a dancer when I was doing all of the pop stuff I felt horrifically uncomfortable did with you really dance. oh yeah I hated it yeah I felt really uncomfortable why did with, you feel you, know? you should do it if you, if, if you disliked it it clearly wasn't necessarily to your taste the music that you were making what sort of spurred you to do it were uh, you kind of looking for a, you know you had a lot of success when you were very very young yeah were you looking for kind of a place in the world is that what it was you... I wanted to change mm. I wanted to change I didn't want to keep doing things that absolutely like keep doing music that totally set me apart from my peers mm. I wanted to do something in which I related to but what that turned out to be wasn't really something that I or you know my a lot of my peers at the time related to mm-hmm. and whilst I am not at all embarrassed about anything I've ever put out mm-hmm. and I think it's all part of the kind of of where I am right now today and a lot of it was good pop music mm-hmm. you know but you know looking back on it I, I just think I was so little I wrote some of that material when I was like 16, 17, 18 and had never written before yeah. um, so although I was put with you know other songwriters um, I kind of wish I'd but I didn't really realise that I had an option of doing anything else, mm-hmm. to be honest. I was kind of put with... How old were you? 16, 17, 18. Christ, is that how old you were when you yeah, were Yeah, it, it came out when I was 18. Jesus. Um, okay, fair enough. Right, yeah, sorry. but I was, I was a babber. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that is an incredibly young age mm. to be embarking on, like, a second stage of your <laughs> career. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's, that's absolutely mental. Okay, so what's next? What, what, what are your plans? How are you going to sort of take this forward? He uh, said sounding like your bank manager. Basically, the plan is that I'm going to do five EPs. The reason I want Five to, EPs? Five EPs okay. over a year. Right. The reason I wanted to do EPs is because... Um, 
I felt like, you know, when you put, you know, two years or however long you take to make an album, you put all of that work into making an album, you go and you work it and you tour and mm. you do all of that. And then you go back away, you squirrel away again to make another album. And I think that with EPs, it can be a, a little more um, imminent. Mm-hmm. So basically the whole time, you know, we'll, we'll release an EP but what we've done this time is gone, gone straight back into the studio, started writing again. We're doing it all ourselves. Mm. Basically, I built a studio in my garage. Right. So me, my partner, Johnny, and uh, our bassist and guitarist, Jamie, we're the songwriters. And then we've got a band of all local musicians in Cardiff who are phenomenal. Yeah. It's me, Johnny, and Gethin John, who's like a mix engineer and stuff, and we're producing it all as well. Mm. So it's a bit DIY. I really love agonising over snare sounds and all of that kind of good <laughs> stuff. I didn't realise how much I love the drums. Really? That's all I care for. You know, you always think, for a lot of people, like the piano will be the instrument that gets them in the gut. For me, I yeah. always thought it was the guitar. Uh-huh. Seemingly not. It's wow. the drums. That's what I'm, I'm always banging on about. It's different rhythms and it's all about clave. <laughs> so, yeah, just to release these, these five EPs uh, over a year's time. But, yeah, basically, it can be much freer, much looser, and it can be right off the back. We can record it, get it out. And therefore, it also has the the chance to be really evolving. That's absolutely stunning. Are you touring again soon? Uh, yes, I'm doing a couple of gigs over the next uh, over the next week. One okay. is in Cardiff. Uh, there's one in Edinburgh, and one in Glasgow, and one in Inverness. Bogbane Farm. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the legendary rock metropolis that is Bogbane Farm. Um, that's fantastic. That's really good. Look, um, thank you for coming and hang around because you're going to take part in Singles Club, which is coming up next. Okay, Singles Club. Now, um, you know the drill. Uh, same as ever, uh, myself, Kieran, and the Sweet Charlotte Church bring in a new or recent track uh, that we particularly like and submit it for the edification of the others and, and indeed for yourselves. Um, we will start out this week. Let's start with Kieran's choice. I just flew in and slipped in on your left side. Yeah. Just a satin gown, you will sleep with no makeup. I'm just trying to be inside you for you wake up. We had problems with the soul in the past. Everybody got problems, baby. I just passed. Remember, I used to do things that'd make you laugh, like ordering a girl drink in a masculine glass. You like peeing your colliders, getting caught in the rain, or rocking flannels all summer like Kurt Cobain. Or that don't shake a bond, I would a few gold chains. And you, the type of girl that probably deserve a new last name, but they never let us do our- That's Kieran's choice this week Kanye West, white dress. More lyrical, you know, filth. <laughs> Every week. Can I see your face recalling in horror? Well, it was, you know, I'm going to stick it up you while you're sleeping or some. Anyway, anyway, as a father, I just as a father of two young girls, you know, I just I just shudder at the world that they're entering into. Um, nonetheless, uh, Kieran, tell us about this um, this despicable piece of film. That you brought in. <laughs> I Why? I'm getting told off. Um, okay, so this you are being told. I off. know. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> This is from the soundtrack to Quentin Tarantino's new film called The Man with the Iron Fist. And the soundtrack is, you know, it's been quite exciting on the hip hop forums because it has the likes of Ghostface Killer and Raekwon on. Okay. So I thought it was quite interesting having Kanye kind of alongside those sort of hip hop legends, really, because he's, an, he's another person who really has eras of sounds you know there was mm. the auto-tune era then there was the heartbreak era and then there was the you know when he first came out which sounded a little bit more grassroots and he wanted to really establish himself as a producer this does sound different this sounds a lot more restrained there isn't this you know huge 
hook, you know, that Kanye loves. Mm. He loves that kind of massive, catchy hooks, and it feels a lot more restrained. There's that tinkling piano, and, you know, it just seems a little bit like he's taken a breath and sat back a little bit. It's less mental. I yeah. think we were all agreed while it was playing that it's significantly less mental sounding than his last album. I prefer this. I prefer that. Really? More Do mental, you? please, Kanye. Wow. This is a bit lounge. Mm, I know what you mean. It's very, no, me. it's very laid back. I quite liked it. I vacillate a little bit in my my sort of opinions of Kanye West. When he first right. came out, I thought this guy's amazing. Yeah. And then I remember hearing Love Lockdown in slightly bizarre circumstances. In, uh, <laughs> Do in, tell. Oh, it's, no, it's great. I mean, it was, it was a great sort of the best way to hear it. I heard it in an apartment in Berlin. <laughs> Had to check me out, Jess, yeah. that guy, Ooh, at six good. in the morning, having been up all night. Amazing. Um, and I just it was on MTV, and I was like, this is the best record. You know. It just came out and it was this sort of I was waiting around with somebody to get a plane back to London and we hadn't been able to go to sleep because the plane was at this time da, da, da. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we were drinking champagne <laughs> in this hotel room and this came out, I was like god this is amazing this is the greatest record ever then I got the rest of the album it's like oh Christ it's all like this you know yeah. his last one I sort of thought was great because it was such a sort of ridiculous statement for somebody like that to make yeah. and very brave and very bold this I thought was okay okay I think that the thing that <laughs> it's an enormously long story <laughs> leading up to the brilliant critical judgment that record was okay. The thing is, is that he, I think he's just he sounds so schizophrenic, you know, on different albums. He does that, you know, massive burst of euphoria, what, mm. which you get on Love Lockdown, mm. and then he gets something which is completely pulled back, and you always hear the ego in it, and you always hear it being quite fantastic, really. And what I like about this is that, you know, all of that aside, you know, kind of his public figure of being with Kim and you know being in the papers all the time like that just seems quite separate from this and that's what I like about it it's a difficult thing to try and separate that kind of is, glare yeah. of you know I mean because I have to because uh, I write uh, Lost in Showbiz the sort of satirical column for the Guardian <laughs> I have to read the celebrity I've got it with me I have to read the celebrity press every week and you know Ugh. he's in it all the time and reading the celebrity press particularly as I do in one night you sit, I sit down in the parliament room it's like an experience akin to having your brain slowly pulled out through your arsehole it's yeah. absolutely awful um, I so I do sort of admire that he's managed <laughs> to keep those two things separate anyway Charlotte are you generally speaking a hip hop fan? Yeah, absolutely. More old hip hop, but then there was a a, a new a, a single that I was considering. I think is um, Rick Ross presidential. Oh, yeah. I think the song's the called. Yeah, so uh, I really like that. That was kind of cool. But yeah, generally speaking, I do like a lot of hip hop. I'm mm. not like a massive hip hop fan, and, mm. and you know, not necessarily of kind of the more recent sort of stuff that's kind of coming out. But I do like uh, I do like Kanye. Anything that's kind of pushing, anything that's mm. experimental and doesn't isn't formulaic, gem- then I kind of I go for. Or anything that, of course, isn't speaking about the general stuff that t- they all speak about nowadays. You know, because there are different lyrical modes yep. uh, that Kanye West operates in. There is, I'm a player, but I'm sad. You know, which is, <laughs> which is, um, you know, I, I think I'd, I'd, I'd pinched Dorian Linsky's uh, <laughs> phrase there. There's that one, you know, don't be fooled by the riches, it's really awful being me. Christian. Can, like, there is the Christian thing, there's Jesus, all that sort of thing. Where does this fit in? You're, well, you're very good at analysing hip hop lyrics. <laughs> Whereas I just hear this sort of, you know, dirt. <laughs> I don't know. I think that it's um, a little bit more uncompromising than that, really, because even yeah, with that snippet that you heard, mm-hmm. as your as your face kind of was filled with horror, I think that that's quite. I don't know. It's quite forward looking for Kanye because he usually has all that like yeah Christian stuff, or it's a little bit samey, or it sounds quite generic, or it's, it really talks about the cult of celebrity in a really mm. self knowing way. Whereas this doesn't really do that. I mean, it talks about girls, of course because what's hip-hop without talking about the ladies? But 
I don't know. I think strippers. The, yeah, but the, even the way he talks Come about on, ladies, stop being strippers, <laughs> says Kanye. <laughs> the, the sex metaphors are different in this. I, you know, I enjoy a good. I, sex I, I love a varied sex metaphor. <laughs> um, this is around and about on the internet. I would imagine. Is it? <clears throat> it is. Yep. Excellent. Okay, well, um, that's Kanye West. Um, That was Kieran's choice. Uh, Now we'll move on to Charlotte's choice. Deacon with True Thrush. <laughs> um, Charlotte Church is choice. Charlotte, I really like that. Um, I'm not hugely aware of the work of Dan Deacon. Mm. I like any record that there's a point that we go, is it meant to be doing this or is there something wrong with it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Which that certainly does. Tell us a little bit about Dan Deacon. Tell us why I brought it in. Dan Deacon is uh, he's an American dude and uh, I think he's had about eight studio albums. And I've only recently got into Dan Deacon. My partner's uh, quite a fan of Dan Deacon and has been for a while. I think he's just like I, like I was saying before. Any anything that's kind of experimental, that's that's really good, mm-hmm. experimental and that that works. I really love. Also, rhythms, any sort of kind of interesting percussive mm-hmm. qualities, I really go for. Mm-hmm. We're listening to it on pretty shitty headphones right now. <laughs> How <laughs> but, dare you? <laughs> sorry, but you know when you when you kind of listen to it in in a room, mm. I don't know. There's something really wall of soundy about it, mm. and it's it's so joyful. It's super super joyful. It's got a really good shit. I mean, there's the, there's a the sort of experimental side to it, and it's got this as you said, this great kind of almost like kraut rocky motoric thing yeah. going on in the background. Uh, but there's also like a really ridiculously catchy pop tune. Yeah, know, just a really simple nursery yeah, rhymey yeah. sort of thing, and then you've got the na na thing yeah, yeah. kind of going on in the background, which is kind of cool. But also, you have those kind of typically indie O's in places right but it actually feels valid yes it kind of actually feels valid here and I hate throwaway indie O's that are that are placed for absolutely no reason well, whatsoever explain, explain to what, a, what an indie O is <laughs> what oh, oh, oh. one of those <laughs> <laughs> just inexplicable yeah. indie O's yeah but you know a well placed O <laughs> is phenomenal <laughs> and yes you know you ever, you should use them but use them properly excellent uh, uh, Karen are you a fan of the indie O that as, as defined by Charlotte here. Um, I quite like it live. It sounds quite good. I'm going to be listening out for them. Um, they probably don't do them as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Maybe that's the problem. Um, yeah, no, I like it. That's um, that's interesting what you say about that kind of wall of noise, yeah. kind of overlayered sound thing. And that's the real difference, in my opinion, between 
when you hear kind of especially you get that in electronica as well yeah. where you know someone's just been button pushing yeah. and just kind of like got really really excited about loads of samples and just kind of messes them all up by playing them all at once absolutely it's a real skill isn't it when you can hear that when everything's been used together but oh, it sounds yeah. you know palatable when and something's think, properly constructed like that absolutely exactly and i think that you can hear that here which is quite nice and obviously i think that you there's a respect for having that ear for production when you can hear all those little sounds but they've all done well and they've all been well thought out and everything's been gently constructed i'm chastened actually by you bringing this in because i i had seen dan deacon's name about and i thought oh man it's that like pitchfork approved kind of stuff <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. for me you know with the best will in the world dirty projectors although i love the last dirty projectors album but i'd spent this like the, the five millionth album and their previous four million nine nine yeah. hundred i'd completely just like oh man it's that kind of like oh, critical groovy me and that's really good and maybe i shouldn't yeah. have maybe there's loads of good stuff by him there's and... a lot of good dan oh, deacon stuff <laughs> <laughs> he's, oh. he's also just gone into contemporary classical wow yeah that he's kind of doing a lot of film scores and stuff oh really yeah like the dude is an absolute demon and, oh. and I think that I, I think a lot of times people who just work synths and oh. I, I he obviously doesn't just do that but a lot of people who just do a lot of synth music I think that takes such a skill set oh. I think you've got to have such oh. a touch to be able to be a real synth master mm-hmm. because I'm not at all then I really really appreciate and respect people who have that sort of magic synth touch um, because I think it's really simple to get wrong and I think this guy is a dude Dan Deacon a dude uh, True Thrush is um, I'm sure you know as with everything I'm even not going to say this anymore I'm sick of it every week I come in here and go oh this is not coming <laughs> it's out it's around it's around on the internet <laughs> um, I'm sure you can find that on whatever I think it's, out, I think it's on an album called America which is, I think he's on Domino, isn't he? Am I right? I think he's on Domino. Excellent. Right, time for my choice. Night Engine, I'll Make It Worth Your While, which is my choice for Singles Club this week. I invite you to picture the scene. It's Monday morning in the Petridis household. <laughs> the house is currently being pulled to bits because we have dry rot, and there's people like pulling ceilings down, all this, everything's covered in shit. It's oh. awful in there. Their kids are playing up. It's dad, and I say, oh, you know, it's Monday morning as well. And I go to my computer and I turn on Tweet Deck, as, I, as is my want, first thing on Monday morning. And my fellow journalist, fellow Greek, and uh, a friend of the pod, Pete Perfidis, is. Uh, tweeting about this and going, I found this amazing thing. And I put this on, I just thought, this is wicked. This is just like a really good bit of kind of slightly left field, guitar-y, David Bowie-ish. It's just a really good record. And it's a record I imagine being like a massive hit as well. Mm. The band are from, I think they're from Norwich. I might be wrong. It's somewhere, it's the last play, because you sort of <laughs> assume this is going to be, you know, 
sort of finely cheekboned. And they are quite finely cheekboned. You know, I'm not saying people from Norwich. They grow are, like that in Norwich too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying people from Norwich are dumpy. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, it's it strikes me as being a little bit like Franz Ferdinand, but with much more kind of heft behind it than I think anything Franz Ferdinand had done for a long time. There's two more tracks on the SoundCloud page. But they've barely done any gigs, so I am indulging in that mm. terrible thing of music journalists do of like jumping on an act straight away. But I just think that it's a really good track. There's two more tracks on their SoundCloud page at the moment. I think this, that is what makes an EP they're going to eventually put out. They're both really good tracks as well. I predict bright things for these boys. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the beginning of the end for them now. I've said that. But anyway, Charlotte. I think uh, it's really talking headsy to me. Yes. Really talking headsy. It also sounds a tiny bit like Burning Down the House. Indeed. Tom Jones on the Reload album. It's Burning a yeah, down yeah, yeah, yeah. The house. But that's a cover of Talking Heads song. Oh. So no that's way. why. Yes, it is. Right, okay. There we are. That shows my lack <laughs> You see, but no, no, that's a, that's a, you see, so it is yeah, yeah. double talking heads. Yes, double like. talking heads. But yeah, it's great. Do you know what? I really like, uh, his voice is so characterful. Yes, it is, isn't it? And I yes. think, uh, I think it takes a bit of bravery nowadays, actually, to, to really sing with quite a distinct characterful mm-hmm. voice because it's not necessarily frowned upon, but I think, you know, a lot of, of modern music is kind of about fitting in and, yes, and this I kind of in this agree. big reverb of air yeah. air you know but so, so I think to have like a really toneful strong vibrato is uh, is quite a statement and I and I kind of dig that hard I like the way that you're, 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 you're actually able to review vocals properly. Because I was just like, yeah, he's sort of a bit yelpy. And yeah, he's got a very strong vibrato and he's using air and all this kind of thing. Fantastic. This is the stuff. Um, Karen. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was going to say, you know, that's that kind of affected voice thing. Yeah, you know, kind of I'm going to throw of voice, it over yeah. to Charlotte to review. Yeah. Yeah, 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 well, um, yeah, we no, like... ring you every week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not stuff. a problem. Um, <laughs> some vocals. Next time somebody brings a Wild Beasts record in, I'm going to ring you and find out what's going on. Karen. Yeah, I really liked it. I loved all the the Bowie stuff. I liked the kind of vocal affectation. I liked the way that it sounded a little bit dandy-esque, you know? I I think if they are from Norwich, I may have got it wrong, and God knows they're probably from Dalston, you know, I'm going (laughs) completely wrong. I I definitely am thinking this is an odd place for this band to be from. I like that all the more if you're from somewhere out in the sticks and you've got this kind of dandyish Bowie-esque thing, because that's how Bowie worked in the 70s and he reached out to every freaking weirdo in the country, so I really like that. Yeah, embracing that kind of contemporary decadence is quite a fun thing, and I think that yeah, you need more of that. You need those sort of characters, especially in pop. Mm. And uh, what I liked about this, and what I liked about the Dan Deacon track as well, was that as much as you say that, that you know, I could see this, you know, being heralded by Pitchfork as well. Mm. You know, both of those, but they do have that pop quality, which mm. I think is what makes you dance and what kind of you know, makes you excited about it. If they've got it. any sense, Radio 1 will be all over this track like a pigeon on a chip. Yeah, um, especially on a Monday morning. Yeah, you, yeah. See, you start a Monday morning off with that, then your week is going to be a good was, week. Yeah, 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 or, or a crushing disappointment, everything that comes thereafter. Also <laughs> um, possible. Okay, well, that's Night Engine. I'll make it worth your while. Um, that is on the SoundCloud page. Uh, you can Google it and find it. It's roundabout on the internet as ever. Okay, Bellowhead's third album, Hedonism, was the highest-selling independently released traditional folk album of all time. And Broadside, its follow-up, is out now. Casper Llewellyn Smith spoke to them recently and asked about another band, supposedly from the English folk tradition, Mumford & Sons. Will Bellowhead match their success? 
I'm not sure we're going to be, uh, you know, threatening their stats very much in that in that in that respect. Well, it's a very different thing. They 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 come from a folk background, but they're they're writing their own songs and that sort of stuff. And we're very much still doing traditional songs because that's what we're interested in doing. You know, I think that's always a bit harder to sell to Americans, frankly. But uh, <laughs> but we we you know we're hoping it's going to match up to the the last album certainly, and uh, and we're very excited about it. It's a very coherent album, this one, and I think it it might take us further than than the last album even. So, uh, give us a bit of background on Bellowhead then. So there's eleven of you normally. You come from the folk tradition, but lots of you weren't necessarily folk musicians when you joined the band in the first no, instance. No, I think about half of the band have come from some sort of folk background. We tend to stand on one side of the stage, the sort of strings and squeeze boxes and, and folk instruments. And then on the other side of the stage, we have the, the horn section who are, well, they come from a, a wide range of genres, really, from Afrobeat, um, free improv, right through to pantomime, some of which you get on stage occasionally <laughs> as well. And, and part of your reputation is obviously built not simply on the albums, but the touring, punishing touring schedule as well. And you play to a wide variety of crowds. Tell me about the audiences for those. So they must range from sort of people who come expecting folk music and a folk audience to, I know you play Bestival, for example, where I I imagine it's a crowd who don't have any Yeah, absolutely. I think that the demographic of our audience is actually, it's very exciting because having started really doing folk festivals and folk venues, and we still, I hopefully, have retained that core audience We've managed to branch out and play to all sorts of people. It's really nice doing Bellahead tour gigs, particularly because you do have a whole range of ages. And people who have come to us through different things, people who have seen us at festivals like Bestival, mm. but then people who have come to us through the folk scene or have seen us on the telly or whatever. So it's, it's a big range of different people, really, at the gigs, which is nice. So And no-one's trying to, too hard to be too cool, if you know what I mean. Everyone's just sort of up for yeah, a good time. Yeah, and so. everybody likes dancing and everybody likes a party, and that's really... Those are two very good ways of describing our show, I think. Tell us about the songs on the new album, for example, and people who haven't heard you before. I mean, they are all traditional songs, but then they've been arranged by different members of the group. So, you know, some of them can sound very folky. Other ones, they've got a big bit of, as you say, the brass section sounds like they're a funk band sometimes. That cool repertoire... Where are you finding the songs, and tell me about that process? Um, well, it's 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 an ongoing process, and it's something that is common to all traditional folk bands. It's always a sort of ongoing process of trying to find material and trying to balance the fact that you kind of want to find interesting material that maybe people aren't that familiar with, but also you don't want to ignore material just because it's well known, if you know what I mean. It's a bit like sort of a theatre director not wanting to do Macbeth or something and you can't totally ignore that sort of side of stuff. So there's that kind of balance. And in terms of finding more obscure stuff, you look, you look in books. A lot of source recordings are available now. When we started off, it was you had to go to the, the library at Cecil Sharp House if you wanted to hear old source recordings, largely. But now a lot of it's been reissued on CD, so there's a lot of that. A lot of written sources are now freely available online as well, which is great, so you can, you can get all that stuff for free. There's actually a huge amount of places to look for it now. It's almost too much to look into. <laughs> to wade through now well let's just hear you play something now then um and let's have you play Ten Thousand miles away from the new album which is called broadside My true love, she was beautiful My true love, she was fair 
Her eyes were like the diamonds, bright and golden was her hair. And golden was her hair, my lads, as the big ship left the bay. She said, will you remember me ten thousand miles away? I'd sing low the winds I
John Bowden and Paul Sutton. That was you playing a tune from the new album, Broadside, which is 10,000 Miles Away. Tell us a bit about that song then, uh, which we've just heard as well, and where you found that. That song I've known for a long time. It was on an LP of an Australian sea shanty group that I bootlegged off a library LP when I was 16 or something. There's this slightly sort of late 19th century, early 20th century kind of feel to some of the lyrics. There's a line in one of the other verses about the whales and sharks having their larks, which is not the kind of line you get before about 1890, I don't think. So So I think it's a fairly modern version of a song, but um, it's obscure. And know. I should just make clear that, uh, Paul, you hadn't, you hadn't practised that before you came in this morning. Obviously, it's on the album with 11 of you playing on it, but... Uh, um, John sent me a file uh, via the internet last night and I had to listen to it whilst I was having a shave. Neither of which were, uh, activities were particularly successful, as you can see. <laughs> and then, yes, we've just busted it. But we have played together uh, you know, a lot over the years, so it's slightly, I hope, instinctive. Tell me a little bit about the strength of the English folk movement at the moment and actually do you think of it as a movement these days? Yeah, I do, yeah. I mean, it's in in different forms. I think the festival movement is very strong. And everyone was a bit nervous about the festivals this year because a lot of festivals are folding and a lot of pop festivals folded this year. But as far as I know, all the folk festivals that hadn't folded before this year are still going. So I think that there's a real strength there and a lot of them are still selling out. And, and that's, I think, to do with the fact that it is a movement and it's a sort of a social movement, really. It's It's about music as a lifestyle rather than as a thing that you consume you know so you go to a folk festival yes to hear performers but also there's a lot of sessions and you can go to workshops and and a lot of people go with dance sides and 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 dance at the festivals so it's a much more all-round kind of experience as a festival and I mean I think the the successful pop festivals do that as well you know but I think the, the folk festival scene is very strong and then that branches off into folk clubs and all that other stuff as well but I, I, I my feeling is that the festivals are actually quite core to the folk movement at the moment yeah more so than a few years ago and mm. certainly there are more and more youngsters coming through you know really heartening to see I mean when I lived in London many years ago as a teenager um, I used to go to Cecil Sharp House for the concerts and uh, and sessions and at the sessions in the cellar bar I was the only person there under the age of about 50 for years and now you struggle to make space in these sessions you know us us oldies you know trying to find a barge youngsters out of the way and get a seat is almost (laughs) impossible I was being glib about it before and making the the Mumford and Sons comparison but that effect I mean is it an effect there's people like Mumford and Sons and Laura Marling and do you see them as people who are jumping on a bandwagon or is it a healthy thing that their music it's not really folk music but it sort of wears the clothes literally wears the clothes of of folk musicians and is that bringing new audiences to you ultimately i'm not sure if it's bringing new audiences i think i mean i think it is good in terms of use of the terminology because 10 years ago the term folk was not a positive term whereas now it's a kind of badge of of honor for people who aren't necessarily even playing folk music you know so for those of us who actually have always have worn it that badge it's quite nice that it's got a sort of um, more positive connotations these days but I mean it's it's such a different thing and I, I don't know there may be a sense in which people go from Mumford's and then get into bluegrass and old time and that brings them into the, the you know I mean there is a kind of journey to be made for people who who get into the music through particularly Mumford's because I guess they do have that bluegrass thing whereas Laura's much more sort of just straight singer-songwriter that as I understand it but um 
but it is quite a long journey and I think it always it's, it's about people being interested enough to explore those sort of avenues. I think know. one of the parallels perhaps between Mumford's etc and, and the folk movement is the emphasis on actually being able to play an instrument and sing and present that sort of semi-acoustically and not only is it that a great thing to happen, but also I think audiences are quite stunned. I've heard kids say, I've listened to music all my life, I've never seen any. I didn't realise people actually made this music physically. They think it just comes out of a computer somewhere. And particularly in these days when increasingly people are miming on stage, which I find absolutely mm. extraordinary and shocking, actually, that a live gig people are... You know, so that's the great thing that Mumford's, as a very prominent band, are very much a live band, is, is great. And they're also good... I think they're very good at uh, creating a communal experience for their audience, which is another intersection with traditional folk music because I think that's always what the live show is about with traditional folk music because you're not singing songs about yourself you're singing songs about us collectively or telling stories that relate to everyone so I think that sense of communality in the live experience is is an era where we sort of meet with them and I should add for anyone who's not seen you play live I mean it is a viscerally thrilling experience I mean it is just like a big party but just the sight of that many musicians on on stage playing out their skins I can warmly recommend to anyone and I should I'll, I'll give I'll do the plug for you that you tour the UK from the 6th of November lots of dates 20 dates or something running through the whole of that month John Bowden and Paul Sutton, thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks very much. It's Bellowhead there, talking to Casper Llewellyn-Smith. Right, that just about wraps it up for this week. My thanks to Kieran Yates, obviously, for coming, and my thanks to Charlotte Church for being a delightful studio guest, and to Bellowhead for talking to us too. Uh, We'll be back next week. Uh, Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. For a limited period only, we have an exclusive e-book offer for Guardian podcast listeners. Guardian columnist Luke Harding's Mafia State is a dark and ominous insight into the life of a journalist in present-day Russia. We're offering 30% off the list price of $4.99. All you have to do is go to the ebook store www.kobo.com, that's K-O-B-O.com, and at checkout put in the discount code MAFIASTATE for your Guardian podcast offer. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.